thought leaders, storytellers and griots sharing personal highlights on stories of the week. So many stories taking place, some of them taking the headlines, some of them on the second or third page of various different newspapers, various different online websites, etc. And that's what we like to do. We like to spread our tentacles far and wide to understand what is the ecosystem of the world that we live in, not just here in South Africa, but globally as well. Let's shift the lens. So as you know, COP28 is currently taking place. This year it takes place at the United Arab Emirates, the UAE, which is one of the world's largest oil producers and of course then raises all sorts of questions around uh, the conversation that is taking place. <coughs> Brandon Abdenor is the acting head of pollution and climate change program at the Center for Environmental Rights. Brandon, thank you so much for making the time. Hi, good morning, Michelle. Good morning to the listeners. So, Brandon, um, we see that it is, as I mentioned, taking place at the UAE, but they did kick off on the first day with a welcome uh, conversation around resources for developing countries. Yeah, I mean, two points in that already. So the fact that it's been held in the UAE is is potentially in itself not problematic. But we have the, the COP28 president being the CEO of the Abu Dhabi National Oil Company, a company which has stated um, ambitions of expanding its oil and gas business. Um, so that's a problem in itself. In terms of that announcement, so that announcement was... Um, the operationalization of the loss and damage fund. Um, So in itself, that is quite good news. Um, It's uh, the culmination of a process that's been going on for a long time. And the idea is that funds are made available for those countries that are actually experiencing the the negative impacts of Mm. climate change. However, that fund is only going to be as good or as as impactful as it is um, in terms of being funded. So... At this point in time, there are, I think, close on $600 million that have been pledged to the fund, which sounds like a lot of money, but the annual requirements at this, yeah, the annual requirements right now are 400 billion, Mm. and that's going to be projected to be 4 trillion by the time 2030 comes around. Yeah, when I read, um, when I read who had put their money in and, um, you know, it all sounded like, uh, what's the word where you like sort of patting yourself on the back because the numbers were not, mm-hmm. were not that big. And I was like, you know, if we're going to look at loss and damages yeah. globally, then we need to really start to look. Let's look at Bangladesh. Let's look at Pakistan. Let's look at places where like floods have just been profoundly, profoundly um, uh, impactful and negative on countries. And what, what does that mean? <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing is these impacts are growing all the time. Um, they're obviously incredibly expensive and the never mind the cost on human life. Um, so, I mean, I can't help getting the feeling it was a bit of a PR exercise that making this announcement at the start to be seen to be a, a sound climate champion um, when the reality of the effectiveness is really in question. And, and that's why we need to zoom out and look at what what is the really big issues. Yeah. And the really big big issue is the phase out of fossil fuels, and we're not seeing progress with that. And that's that's really you know what what it comes down to. So, um, all right, now this may just be hearsay. I I I, I read something, and I'm not sure if it was true or something, but that in fact they were using the COP28 to negotiate 
uh, for other fossil fuel, uh, what would you call it, uh, partnerships, etc. Deals. Deals. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I mean, the BBC, the BBC leaked something or, or published something that came from a whistleblower last week. Yeah. And that's like a, a collection of 150 documents that actually show how the the COP president has set up this. And, and team have set up this this whole program of doing bilateral deals with various countries around oil and gas yeah. um, and used the access that, that he's gotten from his position in this year to do that. Um, sure. And then we also know that the sort of unprecedented numbers of fossil fuel lobbyists are, are going to be attending the COP and that's been growing year after year. So they sit in certain country delegations. Um, and, and this is why I think we're not seeing the, the fundamental progress that we need to see. So, Brendan, let's talk about that phase out of fossil fuels. You say it's not taking place as fast as it should. It may not even be taking place at all in some countries. Uh, how big is the pushback at COP20? I mean, it seems to be enormous. We, we you know, it's, at COP26, we saw finally after, after years of pushing agreement to um, phase out the, the use of unabated coal. Um, so that's really sort of one layer, and it's important. Yeah. But first of all, unabated is a bit of a red herring mm. because it, that refers to carbon capture and storage, which is not a viable technology at this point in time, and not at the scale needed. And we, so we're not seeing words like unabated being removed, and we're not seeing reference to the gas and the oil. So, okay. you know, in a sense, is a, a, a little bit of lip service, really, and, and the, the big moves are not being made. Brian, what happens if... Um what happens if, okay, we go over the 1.5, we've done that already as far as I understand, 1.5 degrees. What's the reality? What is the picture of the world in the next 30 years? Yeah, it very much depends. I mean, 1.5, I think it's, it's accepted that no matter what we do, we're going to dip a little over that. Yeah. Um, with the strongest action possible, we would then we would then come back. So it's not... A magical number after which everything goes ballistic and before which everything is okay. It's, it's, yeah. it's quite a spectrum. But there is an exponential aspect to this. You know, as we start to hit two degrees, um, it's known that certain tipping points are going to be reached. Um, and they create these feedback loops. You know, the hotter it gets, the more the ice melts, the less the sun gets reflected back into space, etc., etc. So we, we're just going to keep on seeing the intensification. I mean, for Southern Africa, it's more drought. Mm. Um, it's it's tropical cyclone activity, sort of at the northern KZN coast, the wildfires that come with that. And the, the knock-on of that is is impacts on availability of water and food, um, yeah. which is obviously economically crippling, leads to conflict, civil unrest. Mm. So it's just this, this sort of breakdown of, of all of our systems. Yeah, we'll definitely be talking about food security later on in the show, so we can listen out for that. Brandon, uh, it, it all sounds so negative, and I don't <laughs> want to be the voice of Noit <laughs> on a Sunday morning. Yeah. Is there anything yeah. that you're going at the end of this? Um, when does it? When does COP28 finish? Uh, I'm, I'm thinking about a week and a oh, half. So I'm not exactly so there's, sure. There's still a while. So if there's we look, time. At, yeah, yeah, yeah. If we look at some of the outcomes, what would you like to see happen that's going to like lift your spirits? I mean, firstly, to say that sort of there is a lot of negativity, but I think the awareness of the issues is growing. And eventually, yeah. as you know, the more ordinary people understand it, the more they'll start to vote for different leaders and also vote with their, their money and sort of 
change consumption patterns. So that's that shift in consciousness is happening. Um, from a COP level, it would be good to see a lot more money going into the loss and damage fund. We need to see a lot more money going into adaptation as well. They 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 sort of related but separate, and the the funding for adaptation is woefully inadequate. At what this is point. adaptation? And then the meaning. So so adapting to those impacts that we know are coming yeah. or are here already. Yes. So how do we change what our infrastructure looks like, the way we do things? So so that needs to be funded along with the loss and damage, which is the impacts that have already happened. And then meaningful commitment to, to reducing greenhouse gas emissions. We need to do that by 42% above sort of 2010 levels by 2030. At this stage, they're still growing at, at 3% a year. And last year was the highest emissions ever globally. Out of all the countries in the world, who would you rate as number one in addressing at a rapid pace of knots or rapid rate uh, the shift and change and making the difference in their country? Gosh, it's, it's really complex. I mean, China, for example, is the biggest emitter and, and therefore responsible for a lot of the damage, but their rollout of renewables is, is phenomenally fast. We've seen countries like Vietnam, which is a very oh. similar profile to South Africa, doing the same. A lot of EU countries are, are really ramping up the renewables. Um, Morocco has got one of the best ratings in terms of its climate targets. Yeah. So it's really hard to say, you know, um, sort of definitively give one or two. Maybe now is the time to start celebrating those countries that are doing things. So instead of just the naming and the mm. shaming, we start the celebration of people who are making a huge, yes. huge difference. Yeah, absolutely. Brandon, I wish you a gorgeous Sunday. I hope you have a relaxing day and uh, we wish you all the best. Brandon Abdenor is the acting head of Pollution and Climate Change Program at the Centre for Environmental Rights and certainly some interesting things coming out. As we mentioned, the Loss and Damage Fund was announced, but uh, the numbers on that could be much, much bigger. I mean, I think... The highest amount that was pledged was pledged by the EU for 275 million. Um, the host country pledged 100 million, um, 17.5 million from the US, 10 million from Japan. It would be good to have seen those numbers increasing. Eight o'clock, time for the news. Good morning.